I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, axonar, and things to episode 81 of the Muppet Trek podcast podcast i'm steve and i'm jarman and we're here to compare contrast and confer about our two favorite franchises and what are those steve that's the muppets and star trek we have been doing wonder one reviews of the muppet show and star trek the original series but now that that's over we switch to star trek the animated series that's right we still have more muppet show to go that's right <laughs> and tonight we're covering muppet show with special guest star arlo guthrie and star trek animated series episode beyond the farthest star that's right. Get excited for big changes. That's right. And Steve, so first tell us about who the hell is this guy, Arlo Guthrie, on The Muppet um, Show. Arlo Guthrie is an American singer-songwriter that was huge in the folk movement. He is the son of Woody Guthrie, who famously wrote This, this Land is uh, Your Land, mm. that, that folk classic. I didn't make that connection <laughs> until you just said that. Um, Arlo's biggest hit uh, is the 18-minute-long Alice's Restaurant. A protest song against the Vietnam War draft that has since become a Thanksgiving standard. Like the only standard Thanksgiving song is this song. I know that song. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's him. Uh, and they even made a movie out of it at one point. But his like highest song on Billboard ever was like 138 or something. Oh. Like he never really had that giant Gitrontus hit and was very much sort of on the fringe of the folk movement. Gotcha. But what's he up to this week on the Muppet Show? Well, Kermit lets us know that we're going to have a down-to-earth, homegrown show. And so the stage in the Muppet Theater has per- turned into like a comfy home. <laughs> Winnie, some sort of bird backstage, is assisting the Swedish chef with a big family meal to go with it. Uh, Kermit reveals that the show is being, that the food's going to be catered, and the chef proceeds to break all the dishes until Kermit changes his mind. <laughs> Gonzo visits Arlo's dressing room to get help tuning his flamingo guitar and Fozzie plans to do a Robert Frost poetry reading, try to class up the joint on stage. uh, Current introduces Arlo Guthrie and we're taken into it like the home interior where Arlo leads a slew of Muppets in the grocery blues about the woes of grocery shopping and getting nickel and dimed for everything. We then get a Muppet news flash. The agricultural report is in and there's widespread dumping of bumper crops and the anchors pelted with car bumpers. Kermit introduces some cows and they perform elegance, a highfalutin song about being fancy juxtaposed by the fact that it's being sung by cows. (laughs) Up next, we visit the Swedish chef's kitchen for the first of three times. He's going to cook a turkey for the dinner. It's still fully alive and he's literally going to spear it through the butt (laughs) and it gets wise and dodges at the last minute. Thank goodness. We get a countrified at the dance with a fiddler providing the music and cowpokes attempting to follow the singer's increasingly confusing hoedown instructions. Following this, we get Lubbock Lou and the Jug Huggers. They perform a horse named Bill is short and sweet and has seemingly nonsensical lyrics. Arlo then serenades the cows with get along little doggy, an old cowboy song about driving cattle. Arlo makes commentary on cowboy culture and the cows eventually join in the song. We get a the second trip to the Swedish chef's kitchen. This time he's trying to, to cook a pig, so he calls for a pig, and like a beefcake pig shows up and beats <laughs> the crap out of him. Really angry pig. 
he then decides that he's going to do roast beef uh, before he gets run over by cows. Fozzie takes the stage in a horse-drawn carriage. He recites Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. It's a lovely poem, but he's interrupted by Gonzo and the Chickens performing Hernando's Hideaway, a lively flamenco number. <laughs> flamenco number. Fozzie tries to proceed, but is derailed repeatedly, and then the poem just turns into the song. Back in the kitchen once more, the ingredients all gang up on the chef, including the vegetables. Kermit brings out Arlo one final time. We join him in a bunch of kind of dirty hippie Muppets. He performs <laughs> sailing down this golden river. He even gets to show off his harmonica skills. Mm-hmm. Kermit and the family gather around the dinner table, eager to see what the Swedish chef has made for them. The chef reveals that he has cooked vitamin pills. <laughs> and that is what we call the Muppet show. So what do you think of this week's episode with Arlo Guthrie? Oh boy. This is going to be my bottom of the season so far. Um, first, we have uh, him singing a song with one of the lyrics saying, is the grocery store song, don't mind women's lib, but if the women don't go to the store, we ain't going to eat anymore. <laughs> Yikes. And then we have... Didn't uh, age well. Yeah, didn't age well. Um, I did like how the at the dance segment was the same tune, but to the honky tonk rhythm. That was pretty cool and creative of them. Uh, I like the at that that at the dance segment. Um, I love that it was basically the Swedish chef as the guest star for this episode. Kind of, yeah. He had a, he got lot, a lot of, of screen time. I love Swedish chef, and he had a lot of screen time. That was fun. But the problem was Arlo Guthrie. I just don't think was very interesting or charismatic. He didn't even do a costume change. He wasn't even a very good singer. Um, there's actually a character, I, you'll know probably who I'm thinking of, that or a Muppeteer who sounds very similar to him, but sings much better. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, because it's a character maybe? that one of the Muppeteers sings like, as, a, as a character in one of the bands or some, a couple characters and sounds similar to Arlo Guthrie, but sounds much better. I can't think of what Muppet uh, it's it is. It's not Richard Hunt, because he's good, but. He doesn't sound like Arlo Guthrie. Uh, it's got it. You got to be talking about Jerry Nelson. Maybe. If I had to guess, you're talking about Jerry Nelson. It was a similar timbre. Like the same sound of his voice was almost exactly the same, but just like much better quality of a singer. I'm like, so we just don't need Arlo Guthrie right here right now. Um, but the backstage stuff was really fun. Um, and I like the rest of, the, yeah, basically everything the Muppets were doing were fun and good. Um, but I just think he was terrible. He seemed like he was bored. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Steve? <laughs> Before I bash um, it too much, I think you're being too kind to this episode. Mm. Oh my gosh, um, good. Here's somewhat an agreement. <laughs> there were a few good things. I like it when they take the entire show and set it around a theme. Right. I don't think this was successful execution of that. Yeah. It didn't make any sense that the stage was suddenly a home. Yeah, they didn't explain why that was the case. So just kind of. Okay. It was just strange. Um. So good idea, bad execution. Um, the one sort of shining in the whole thing was the countrified at the dance. Yeah. I thought that was really which creative. Which was both funny. It took something we knew. It added the theme to it, even if it was not a great theme. But you could still hear the tune of the at the dance song, which is kind of neat. I was like, oh, it's the at the dance song, but honky tonk. That's pretty and you're cool. right. The Swedish chef was, was also like, the, the might as well have been the main plot. He was the guest star. <laughs> um, but Arlo Guthrie, maybe he, maybe he was sick. Uh, in Get Along Little Doggy, he is flat the entire song. Bad. He sang not, not just parts or certain notes or anything like that. He is flat 
the entire song. <laughs> yeah. um, and Steve and I aren't where, expert singers, but we went through chorus for a long time. We know what flat and sharp sounds when, like. When like, <laughs> instruments are playing one note and a voice is doing its own fucking yes. thing. I can hear that at least. Exactly. Um, you're right. He was uncharismatic. We missed out. Like we, we didn't see Piggy this week. Now, mind you, I'm willing to bet it was like, this was Frank's week off. No, she was in the very last scene. Right. But we didn't see any sketches with her interactions right. with her. I don't even sure she had lines. She had one line. It was really weird. She had one line. So it might be somebody else doing her line, but she had yeah. that one line. Um, so this feels like maybe it was a bye week for somebody. Yeah. But I, I agree. The numbers felt throwaway ish. Every one of his songs, the same tempo, the same feeling, and he was wearing the same outfit for every damn song. It was just lazy for him. I, mean, I don't know what the hell happened. But. And in um, grocery grocery blues, uh, there were they they loaded the setup with whatnots instead of like Muppets we know, and the whatnots were so like ugly made. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Actually. They they were just they just didn't look like they were put together right. It looks like all the eyes were too close to the mouths and noses were goo- <laughs> like it was to the point of distraction. The Are whatnots point of whatnot basically like they just placeholder kind of, Muppets? Is that what they call whatnots? Is that what that yeah, means? Yeah, they're blank canvases and they can stick different eyes oh, and noses on I didn't on know that's what that was. Ways. Okay. Yeah, uh, a whatnot. Um, gotcha. And that's how they make when they need like extra Muppets or Muppets in a specific theme. Totally. Um, but they they were just so oddly put together to the point of distraction. Like everyone phoned it in this episode, it feels like. Everything just, n- nothing came together right. Right. Um, so in that regard, I agree. This is definitely bottom of the barrel for this season. And this has a very strong chance of like dethroning. Oh, it does. Yeah. Some of our longer running worst it really episodes. Does. But not Rich Little. That piece of shit. Oh, the, the improv, the impression the, the comedian. Impr- yeah, that guy. <laughs> that was pretty bad. Um, all right. Well, music this week. You got Grocery Blues. It's an Arlo, Arlo Guthrie original. It's from his 1976 album, Amigo. And uh, this is the album that peaked at 133 on the Billboard charts. It, once again, to give you an idea of the popularity of Arlo Guthrie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Elegance from the musical Hello, Dolly. Uh, originally, the role of Dolly on Broadway was played by Carol Channing, and she is a Muppet Show guest later this season. I love Carol Channing. Uh, a Horse Named Bill. This is this is a traditional folk song from the Southeast. Uh, it was hard to find info about this. The most popular version uh, was actually recorded in 1993 hmm. on a kids album titled Not For Kids Only, released by Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead and David Gris- uh, Grisman. Random. But until 1993, like, I guess this was the most popular. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Get Along Little Dogies. Uh, it's an old cowboy song that some think derived from an old Irish ballad. First referenced by Owen Wister in 1893. Wister is often referred to as the father of Western fiction and really helped define a ton of the cowboy genre as we know it today. Hmm. Like he wrote books about it that went back east. And so that's the opinions that people formed ah, about what it was like. Interesting. Hernando's Hideaway by uh, Jerry Rolls and Richard, ugh, man, Jerry Rolls and Richard Adler ugh, is from the musical The Pajama Game. Ah, yes. The show won two Tony Awards, one for its original production in 1954, and then one again in 2006 for Best Revival, which had Harry Connick Jr. as the lead. Yeah. Ah. Sailing Down This Golden River, this is originally by Pete Singer, and this is from Arlo's 1979 album, Outlasting the Blues. 
This episode was filmed just weeks before the album released and aired a few months after. So oh. this song is likely what he was here to promote. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. So, Jarman, in this just mess of an episode, <laughs> what did you think the best Muppeteering moment was? I actually thought the um, the cow number. What was the the song name again? Uh, Elegance. I thought Elegance was delightful. It was fun, and that, that was very well done. Um, that actually was like an upper moment for the episode, and I thought the cows dancing were pretty impressive, and all the little solo moments they all had. So that was my favorite Muppeteering moment for sure. Yeah. Uh, Man, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That was kind of a standalone number that would have been good in any episode. Yeah, exactly. So it was, you're right. It was right. it was fine. It was like, okay, this is fun. This is cool. <laughs> uh, I loved the Swedish chef breaking dishes. Oh, I and just the, loved that yeah. bit of him up on the balcony. And just every time Kermit said something, he would just toss <laughs> just armfuls of dishes. Out of and despair and anger that he's right. not being the cook for the episode. Yeah. Uh, but I want to know more about who the hell this bird is. Winnie? The like bird kind of dressed like a nurse who's going to like help the chef. I didn't even think about it, but is that a new person that we've never seen before? They, I think, I don't think I've ever seen Winnie ever. Huh? Maybe in the background or something of, but like, I've never heard her reference. What's the restaurant person's name? The woman who runs the restaurant in the back or whatever? Uh, Glinda? Okay. Because we've seen her a few times. Wasn't she kind of bird-like? Maybe. I forgot what her name was, so I didn't know that's the same. Man, talk I, about a bit that came and went in season three. I thought that was the same like person. Like the lunch counter back there. Yeah. yeah. You might be right, but we only saw it a few times. So it's I hard figured she was be... the same person from that lunch counter or whatever back in the day, but you're right. We haven't and seen her And that person kind of took the place of the uh, the old dressing woman, the like wardrobe <laughs> lady from early seasons. Oh, yeah. It was really creepy looking. Who would just give people sass. Man, <laughs> there's a lot of characters that have come and gone. <laughs> well, yeah. They were there. Uh, so, Jarman. Tell us about the inaugural episode of Star Trek, the animated series that we watched. Oh, my gosh, guys. We're finally watching an animated series episode, and they're a little shorter. So there you go. They're only about 23 minutes long instead of the 52 minutes long. So we have Beyond the Farthest Star, which has the Enterprise exploring the outer rim of the galaxy on a star charting mission. And they encounter a dead star and are quickly pulled into its orbit. They discover a huge dead ship that is also trapped in its orbit of a technology that seems way beyond anything they've encountered before. So they beam aboard it and discover it's a 300 year, 300 million years old ship. And it used to be home to some ancient insectoid race of aliens. And it's very biological looking in the way it looks like a hive. And they soon find a chamber on the ship that has atmosphere. And they're suddenly locked in that chamber. And a pre-recorded message starts to play from the old alien race. And once they translate it, it tells them that the ship was destroyed by some energy being that is trying to escape the dead sun and travel to other worlds. And they were able to seal off this room in time to record their message, but they self-destructed the rest of the ship rather than let the energy being uh, use their ship to escape. Uh, The entity then blasts its way into the chamber and the crew are then able to transport back to the Enterprise just in time but they quickly discover the entity traveled uh, with them. They transported back onto the Enterprise with them. So the entity quickly takes over the Enterprise and is shutting down all non-essential functions, but Spock is able to protective, uh, put a protective shield over the navigation controls so the entity can't steer the ship off to where it wants to go. So the entity gets upset about this and then threatens the lives of the crew unless Kirk takes it where it wants to go. 
So Kirk plays along like he's going to take the ship where it wants to go, but really he has a secret plan with Spock to navigate the ship into the Dead Star and then slingshot the ship toward uh, warp at the last minute. So the entity thinks they're going to destroy the ship as they're approaching the, the sun. He's like, oh, crap. So it flees the Enterprise at the last second, going back into the Dead Star, and the Enterprise flies away to safety as the entity cries, begging them not to leave him alone again after he's been alone for 300 million years. And that is beyond the farthest star. So, Steve, what do you think of this episode? The first animated series episode you've ever seen? Uh, I honestly wasn't sure what to expect with content and tone. Right. And I was pleasantly surprised overall. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things I liked, uh, it moves better. And I think that's a result of the truncated runtime Mm -hmm. and them not having the time to go over things and explore scientific theories as readily. (laughs) Um, There was something very comforting about the fact that most of the original voices were there. Made it very familiar. Oh, yeah. Like moves you right into it. And it felt very trekky right off the bat in that there's like an abandoned spaceship, which feels so classic and continues the proud Trek tradition of just inventing things on the fly, <laughs> like life support belts. Yes. Um, and I like that they kind of took it to an extreme because they didn't have to build any of this stuff. They said to draw it. Yep. So there were so many, I felt like props that we wouldn't have been able to see. Or they'd look really uh, crappy because it was live action. <laughs> right. In the 60s. Um, these, I like the, 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 the turn of like the scary insectoid aliens that are also the victims. Mm-hmm. And they're just there to give a warning. Like that was a nice surprise. Um, and once again, just them, them making things up. Like there was a, a cutter thing at one point and the belts. And I was like, oh, it doesn't matter because they can draw this stuff. And it makes me excited for them being able to, in theory, do more things. Yeah, that's very true. animated series that they could have ever possibly done in the original series. I think that's why this, this animated series isn't totally panned because the animation isn't great. But at the same time, they're able to explore things they could not explore in the original series, which is kind of fun. It's kind of neat. Um. And what I my impressions were, I, I, I watched this a long time ago all the way through, but uh, watching it again, I just realizing it's not meant for small children because it's just too complex. Like they're using such scientific jargon that like kids would be like, this is boring as fuck and they wouldn't watch it. Whereas like adults <laughs> would be like, oh, this is cool. It's like original Star Trek. So that's my first impression I got like almost immediately with Spock rattling off like, you know, techno babble like that just wouldn't work with kids. Um and we'll talk about the atmosphere belts later on because that's in the trivia section for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was similar to other TOS plots that we saw before. But I oh think- yeah, like bringing something back to the ship by mistake, and ancient classic. races were wiped out and things like that. But I think it was told in a different, new, interesting, super sciency way. You know, like like you were talking about. So I think that's it was fun. Um, and this, I said the same thing about the shorter format. I feel feels much snappier much you know more just entertaining because it was just like it went by real fast and it was like you had to pay attention to what was going on um and we can't rate this obviously against anything else because it's our first one so (laughs) so that means it's the best one so far it's the best one so far yeah so generally you liked was there much negative things you thought of um you know the once again i I thought them playing the trope of they accidentally brought something back on the ship you know it's overdone yeah but that's star trek um, the laser colander in the sky, in the bridge, the, the bridge protection, whatever. Oh, yeah, that was a new thing. It was yeah. just one step too convenient. Mm. 
that this thing exists and can kill everyone in the bridge. Um, and then the thing that felt unstar trekky about it was they ditched it on the dead star, but there was no further time to discover what it was really. Yeah. Or the implications. And that was maybe the negative side of feeling that time crunch. Yeah. At least they could say like, we need to notify Starfleet. You should not approach this planet or have, Deep space right. scientists figure it out before they get too close or something like we'll that. We'll send a yeah. scientific team. They'll be, yeah. You know, anything. But once again, it's just the, the result of them having 22 bats. Yeah, exactly. It's breakneck speed, basically, compared to what we've been watching. Um, but overall, positively surprised so far. Nice. Because I honestly didn't know what to expect. What about the animation? What are you thinking with this? Uh... I mean, it was, it was the animation. <laughs> It was there. You'll see a lot of the same head movements throughout the series and like because they're reusing the same models and things. So you'll like, oh, yeah, they did that same exact movement for 20 episodes. <laughs> so get used to it. Uh, so some trivia for the episode. Uh, this episode did not air in Los Angeles until December 22nd, 1973, oh. due to George Takei's run for L.A. City Council. George Takei being Sulu, of course, and playing the voice of Sulu on this show. So Takei's opponents claimed that if any episode that featured him aired before the election, it would uh, violate the equal time law in which political candidates must have an equal amount of airtime on non-news programs. Uh, so for that region, uh, Star Trek, the animated series yesteryear, the next episode we're going to review was the premiere episode of the series in L.A. because it didn't have Sulu in it. <laughs> and so... End up in the long run, he finished second of five candidates in the special election and losing by 1,647 votes in that L.A. City Council meeting. So he did not win, but he was up. But he didn't election. lose by that much either. And I found by searching for this, you can find his posters, the original campaign posters with George Takei's face on them running for city council. They sell online for about 50 bucks. So just saying that, folks, it's a, probably a fun thing to collect. <laughs> and also in uh, 2007... Paramount issued a statement that Star Trek, uh, the original, the animated series, was indeed canon. So even before uh, Gene Roddenberry wasn't claiming that it was canon because it was kind of a money grab at the time, but it turned out being better than he expected. Uh, so Paramount, though, 2007, who now owns basically all of Star Trek, they say, yes, the original, the animated series is canon. It's not like the novels. Uh, it actually is canon. It's part of the Star Trek universe. So you can go forward with that and you'll see echoes of it. Once we watch the whole thing in, in Star Trek Enterprise, in the J.J. Verse movies, they reference things in the animated series. So it's definitely part of canon. So some general show trivia, since we're first watching this uh, series. Um, according to Lou Scheimer, whoever the hell that is, there were never any ego problems between the cast members during recording sessions. Although William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy had a tendency to count their character lines and complain when one of them had too many more than the other, <laughs> which makes sense. Got it. So there was ego. There was some on. ego. Uh, the life support belts that we talked about earlier, uh, they came about uh, simply because the bulky spacesuits that they created in the Star Trek original series were too complex to draw. Um, in the same way, the original series, the concept of transporters had come about the same way because it got the crew to the planet without the expense of filming a landing sequence every week. So, ironically, the belts were never adapted for the later live-action movies and television series because making the actors glow, like they do in the TV series when they wear the right. belt, was more expensive with visual effects. So, it's actually, <laughs> it was cheaper to put them 
in spacesuits in live action and less expensive to put them in the belts in the animated series. So uh, the wonders of the future for budget, budget budgetary reasons. <laughs> exactly. Uh, originally, the series was not going to include George Takei, Walter Koenig, and Michelle Nichols due to budget considerations. However, when Leonard Nimoy learned of this, not William Shatner, but Leonard Nimoy, he refused to join the cast unless his friends were included. And rather than lose the most popular cast member, Spock, Filmation, uh, who made this show, Filmation is a you know, long-going animation people after this, they agreed to sign on to Kay and Nichols, while Walter Koenig, uh, um, what's his face? Forgetting the name. Oh, my God. The Russian character. Chekhov? Chekhov. He, he could no, not be included because of the budget. So he provided the script, though, of one of the one of the episodes later on called The Infinite Vulcan. But you'll notice Chekhov is not in this series. Um, so, yeah, you won't see any Chekhov. Um, had the animated series continued for the full length they wanted it to, a series finale would have shown the Enterprise crew completing their five-year mission and returning home huh. to Earth with the Enterprise beginning its overdue refit that would be completed in the screen on Star Trek, the motion picture in 1979. So it would have been a continuous, beautiful, um, you know, just smooth transition, but they didn't quite get there. Uh, because of the hmm. series low budget, James Doohan or guy who played Mr. Scott, Scotty, uh, George Decay, uh, Sulu, Michelle Nichols, Uhura and Majel Barrett, uh, Gene Roddenberry's wife and Nurse Chapel, they all voice many of the extra crewmen, aliens, and guest characters that appear throughout the series. So you'll hear their voices playing other characters throughout the whole thing. And James Doohan, he voiced a total of 51 different characters on this series. So you'll hear his voice everywhere. Wow. He played uh, Lieutenant Kyle or whatever who uh, transported them over on this episode. Yeah, well, I saw it and I was like, wait, why does it sound like Scotty and have a mustache? At this moment, I was like, man, they really animated Scotty bad, huh? Which is weird because he's Canadian. He's not even Scottish, but they had him do it a British accent voice. for Kyle, which sounded too similar to Scotty. It was stupid. Like, Way I don't know why they too do. similar. Yeah. Um, some episodes were based on scripts that were rejected by the live Star Trek, the original series, and others that were unused for another reason. For example, that the live show ended before they could be filmed. So... They basically got another chance to film more scripts they wanted to put in the original series into the show. And the addition of more alien crew members, which we'll see later on and some of you saw in this episode, um, was also a viewer request. And Roddenberry joked that they had always wanted to feature more aliens, but that were there were <laughs> there were too few of them in the Screen Actors Guild. So we couldn't cast them. That's what uh, he said. In reality, the animated format made it easier to depict more alien-looking characters. So you'll see... Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, cat characters, multi-armed characters later on in the animated series because they can do it. It's animation. And the last one, uh, in the early pre-production of this series, Filmation, who made the series, proposed a group of space cadets who would each mirror the principal characters and serve as their sidekicks. So we'd have a bunch of teens that were basically the sidekicks of, like, Kirk and Spock, who would be the focus of this new series. Uh, while this concept was immediately rejected, the basic character concept would be used for the later filmation live-action TV series Space Academy from 1977, which didn't do too wow. well. But you can check it out. There's pictures. It's a live-action show that was going to be it's basically what Star Trek, the anime series, was going to be, but crappy live-action show. Right. <laughs> so anyways, that's our trivia for the whole series kind of thing coming up. So we won't have that long of trivia in the future, but just want to give that out there. But Steve, what were our Muppet Trek, Muppet and Trek connections for this week? 
Uh, let's see. Both Arlo Guthrie and Leonard Nimoy appeared in a film called Massachusetts, a special place, a movie made specifically by the state of Massachusetts to attract film and tourism. <laughs> what? And there's even a picture of them together at the premiere. They were in that together. Arlo was in a 1997 episode of the show Renegade, which I had never heard of, but apparently ran for six years. Huh. A regular on this show was actor Branscombe Richmond, who played Klingon gunner number two in Star Trek three, the search for Spock. Now that's a connection. That's a connection. <laughs> but luckily these were both basically the same episode, right? Oh, completely. I mean, how could you not see it? I mean, first we have the Swedish chef, tries to do everything he can to take over animals and make a roast, just as the evil energy being is trying to take over the Enterprise to make its escape. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Both feature familiar characters in an unfamiliar surrounding. The Muppets turning the show and stage into a country home, and the Star Trek crew suddenly being animated. <laughs> That's a very meta one. I like that. Um, yes. The evil energy being claims to be lonely, but violently overthrows every ship it meets. Just as Statler and Waldorf claim to hate the Muppet show, but yet they come back for every performance. Week after week. <laughs> Both feature situations where you expect one thing, but get another. The crew sees a scary insectoid alien on the screen, but it turns out it's just a, a, a nice insectoid race trying to give them a warning. Another victim. Just like Fozzie goes out to perform a cultured poetry piece and instead ends up performing flamenco music and an interpretive musical number. Very nice. <laughs> Those were Bam. so so similar. So similar. Bam. Oh god, what's that? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. Alright, it's the part of the episode where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa. What you got for us, Steve? Trek to Muppets this week. I've got the green hazy life form coming over to play the role of the cloud of pot smoke surrounding Arlo Guthrie. I didn't even think about him being high. You just seemed tired, but you're right. He was high. You're that so whole right. episode. You're so oh right. my God. <laughs> All right. Star Trek to Muppets. I have the energy being once again, taking the place of Arlo Guthrie because just from his sad moaning at the end of the Star Trek episode, the like green no. space thing, I can tell he'd be a better singer than Arlo Guthrie. <laughs> right. He at least moaned in key. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Muppets Trek, uh, Trading for the role of the big insectoid on the alien screen, I'm bringing in Gonzo mm. because it would be really funny for the transmission to resolve. And it's Gonzo in his flamenco outfit with a dire warning. And he is an alien after all. And he is an alien. It all works. And Muppets of Star Trek, I have Arlo Guthrie would take the place of the dead star from the Star Trek episode. Because just like its gravitational pull sucks in and destroys everything that it gets near, his boring performances would suck and destroy all the happiness and fun in a room. No talent shall escape this place. <laughs> exactly. So I think that brings us to the end of episode 81 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Beverly Sills. And original, no, not original series episode, animated series episode yesteryear. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. 
This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.